Sarah was everything I wasn't. She was sensible and would never roller skate down a steep hill or spill juice on her spelling jotter. She was girly. While Santa brought me water pistols and gardening rakes, Sarah got pink fluffy things and dolls that peed and cried and freaked me out. But perhaps the biggest difference between us was that Sarah was an indoors person. She could spend all day in her room playing with tiny tears, cooking for her in her mini kitchen, ironing for her with a mini iron, dressing her in those mini dresses. I, on the other hand, hated being indoors. I'd play in the street, in Pollock Park, at the arcade, in my friend's gardens, but when I played at Sarah's house, we almost always stayed inside. If I ever managed to get Sarah to come outside to play when we were little, it would be on the strict condition that tiny tears could come too, and while I would build a mini treehouse for the dolls to escape to, Sarah would feed her porridge, wipe her face, change her nappy and rock her to sleep. Poor Sarah. A baby was all she'd ever really wanted for as long as I could remember. At first, when Sarah was trying to conceive... She'd ring her husband Kyle excitedly at his surgery and get him to come home and do it because the time was right. Her discharge was clear, her temperature was high, and she was horny as hell. Afterwards, they'd giggle as she put his stethoscope on her tummy to listen to him swim. But as time passed, Kyle found he couldn't leave patients waiting, or he had home visits to do and Sarah wondered if her cycle was more elusive than she'd believed. After a while, she decided that it wandered around the month invisibly, and in order to catch it, she and Kyle should have sex every night. This went on for two years. They got good at it. Who needed lubrication? One difficult shove at the beginning is a small price to pay for efficiency. But after twenty-four months of nightly sex... The sperm still seemed to be doing bugger all. So Sarah left work, deciding the stress in intensive care could be having a detrimental effect on her ovaries. Then Kyle used his clout as the longest-serving GP in South Shoreland surgery to get a speedy referral to the best fertility specialist in the United Kingdom. Sarah took medication, felt ill and grumpy, no longer tended her garden with the gentle care, put the renovation plans for the weekender near Loch Katrine on hold and moaned to her oldest and closest friend, me, every night on the telephone. Kyle is working all the time. Why? 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 The first time she rang, I suggested we go out and get drunk. Do you want the baby to grow up short? exclaimed Sarah. Next, I suggested going out for dinner. I only suggested this once, after she put me off muscles marinara forever with a concern about bacteria. I am deeply ashamed of this now, but after months and months of calls I got tired of it all. I had listened and counselled with proper concern for so long. I had cried with her, my friend, who inexplicable maternal urge had exploded inside her with enthusiasm, but without capacity. I had bought her homeopathic remedies, books, nicotine patches, gum and inhalers. What about this? That? Get Kyle checked out. Check your elasticity down there. 
clear and elastic. Most important, relax. But none of it had worked, and I got tired. So there came a time when I found myself taking a very deep breath before answering the late-night calls. There would be a silence and a snuffle, and I would ask her how she was, and the answer would never be good. She was obsessed. Everything in her world had found its way to her ovaries. Dinner, work, clothing, footwear and dog shit were ovary-related. In turn, the single aim of my conversations became ovary evasion. How's the stone wall going in Loch Katrine? I asked her once at 10.33pm on a weeknight. I've stopped, she said. The strain might be bad for my ovaries. When Sarah rang at